You get up on your feet, find somebody, tell them good morning.
Good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today. We are, uh, we are spread out across the country. We have 60 teenagers and adults in Colorado for camp this week, and uh, they will finish up tonight and head back tomorrow morning. They've been up there all week, and we want to be praying for them. God's been working in their lives. They went whitewater rafting and rock climbing yesterday, and today they're going to go to a hot springs and uh, But each night, they're meeting with the Lord. Uh, Zach Wilkie is preaching uh, or sharing with them this week, and it's just an exciting week for our students, so please pray with them as they start heading back. If you're visiting with us, welcome to Carpenter's Way. We are glad to have you here, um, and we're glad to have air conditioning. Those are the two things we're thankful for this morning. Uh, but beyond that, we're thankful for grace. Um, we're thankful that God sent his son to die for people like us who don't deserve it so that we can come together and sing songs like that. At the end of the day, it isn't about the denomination and it isn't about when he's going to return. It's about the fact that he has saved us. So when he returns or we go to be with him, we have hope. And uh, that's what we celebrate this morning. And we're great, great, 
glad, honored that you are celebrating with us. We are going to be in James chapter 5 today. And uh, so if you're visiting or you're watching on the internet, you want to grab a Bible as we'll be uh, in verses uh, 7 through 11 this morning and, and of, of James chapter 5. Um, but before we get there, I do have some announcements I want to make if you'd grab your worship guides. Um, we are very excited. It's, it's great to see Josh and Allie here. I didn't know that they would be here this morning. Welcome home. Uh, Josh and Allie are our missionaries. Seven of them are happy you're here. Um, Josh and Allie are our missionaries. Eight. That's eight. <laughs> they are our missionaries uh, in Chicago working with uh, what we know as Campus Crusade for Christ or Crew, work with the uh, military there. And uh, it is exciting um, because this is the first time they've come back to visit full support, full time. Allie's still a student at Moody and uh, Moody Bible Institute, the finest Bible school in the country, if not the world. God bless the school that D.L. Moody. Sorry. Sorry, I got out of control there. We're going to learn that song as a church, dude. Anyway, um, but uh, they're going to be sharing. Look, this Wednesday night, they're going to be sharing with us what God is doing, what they're involved in. So please come out this Wednesday night. I promise you we will have the air conditioning on. And uh, from 6.30 to 7.45, uh, we'll do a few songs, and then uh, Josh and Allie will share. And uh, it's going to be a great time. Also, this week, our insert, they are our missionary in insert. So, uh, again, we try to put these in every week or two so that you can put these on your refrigerator or on your uh, table in the kitchen or somewhere in the house that you walk by them so you can be praying for our missionaries. And uh, this week is Josh and Allie. Come out this Wednesday night uh, and listen to what God is doing in their ministry so you know how to pray. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask the ushers to come forward at this time for our offering. Uh, as they come forward, I want to remind you, we got lots of folks traveling, lots of vacations. You're with family and with the mouse and different things and cruising. On all of those places, you can stay in touch with your Carpenter's Way family through our app. You can get it uh, both in the um, Google Store and in the iPhone. It's uh, Carpenter's Way. Um, what's it called? Carpenter's Way. Just, Google, just search Carpenter's Way. I think the information is in the worship guide. It's, it's our uh, digital campus. That's what it is, Carpenter's Way Digital Campus. And if you'll download that, uh, then you'll be able to keep up with prayer requests and uh, other things. And it's such a good way. It's such a good way to do that. And, folks, those of you who have it, keep checking in on the prayer and uh, praying for each other um, so that we can take care of each other as God has instructed. rest of the information is in here. There's information on membership and, and how you join and all that stuff. Uh, now we're going to take our offering. This is part of our weekly worship, as most of you know. Uh, if you are visiting with us, this is the one part of the service we ask you not to participate in. Uh, we have a budget that goes to pay these bills and, and as, support the ministries of Carpenter's Way, but also supports uh, 10,000 missionaries in the states and globally that are reaching people for the gospel, making disciples, planting churches. And then our church has about 14 more missionary groups or, or individuals that we support. And Josh and Allie are part of that. We are proud. They go through a process of application. We have deacons who oversee that. And we're really excited to participate with them. And uh, we want you to be more than just givers. We want you to be actually praying for them. And that's why periodically we have our missionaries come in and share with you. And uh, Josh and Allie will be doing that this Wednesday night. So plan on joining us for that. So if you're visiting, just pass the plate as it goes by. If this is your home, remember that this is how we take care of uh, each other and, and our responsibilities and, and worship the Lord. So let's pray and commit this to the Lord. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather in a comfortable room not afraid of being arrested or uh, of, of, of being shut down by the government like as often happens in so many locations across the globe. I thank you that we get to worship together this morning and be encouraged by your word. 
Father, as we now turn our way from the business of, of life into the business of spiritual life, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would speak through the songs, that you would speak through your word. And I pray that it, as, as we continue through our service today, that the words of men would fade away so that the words of God could endure forever. We do love you, Father. We, we, we're thankful that you loved us first, and we ask you now to just show us how deeply, madly, crazy in love with us you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Your 
dismiss the kids at this time for GPS. You know, um, it seems like in our lives we're so busy um, trying to fix the things that are uh, broken. Uh, we, we know like we sing about God's grace taking care of eternal life, and for most of us we're, we're comfortable in that and we can rest, we can sing those songs. It's the rest of life while we're waiting to get there that can be scary and unsettling. And, and as churches, we share those burdens and we pray for each other. And sometimes, and I'm, I'm really guilty of this myself, sometimes we forget how God answers our prayers. We forget to take a breath and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. We forgot that we prayed about something and, and God answered. Uh, you know, the nation of Israel had that same struggle. So God was constantly throughout the Old Testament, especially in the wilderness wanderings. He would have them after something great happened. He would have them build a monument. 
And it tells us that he did that so that when the children of Israel in later times would walk by and the kids asked their parents, why was that monument there? They could say, well, this is where God did this for us. This, this, is, this is how God provided for us in times past. And it would, it would encourage them. And uh, I think sometimes, I'm actually I know I am, I'm guilty of always looking at the next hurdle and always looking at the next thing to pray for and the next big deal. But, you know, once in a while it's time to take, it's good to take a breath and remember. And I, you know, we've, we've had an answer to prayer. We've been, we've been praying for Louise Estes for eight months when she was diagnosed with cancer and was just declared this last couple weeks cancer-free. So that is exciting. It's an answer to prayer. And, and, you know, we pray, for our, we pray all the time for our kids. You know, we've, we've had a, a junior, we had a, a preteen camp already. We pray, Lord, bless the kids, teach them stuff, and keep them safe. And then they come back, and it's like, look, they're back, and look what God taught them. How cool is that? And then we move on to the next. Oh, it's VBS, so let's pray about VBS. You know, so far, we've had three of our major annual events where lots of people are involved. We had hundreds of kids here for VBS we had, uh, I think it was like 30 kids plus staff that we took to preteen camp. We have 60 kids in staff right now that drove all the way, about 18 hours to Colorado, stayed in a hotel. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can happen, and it's been safe. God's answering our prayers in those, and we just need to remember to thank God for those answers. They'll be home this week, God willing, safely, uh, and and then and, and so easy to move on. You know what I'm talking about? And, and I think sometimes, even as, you're, as we're parenting, we're so busy. Oh, they're 13. We don't thank God for the first 12 years because we're scared to death of the next one year. You know, I've heard what 13 is like. Or, or we get through the, ter- you know, our kids turn three and it's like, oh, our terrible twos weren't too bad. Well, wait till the terrible fours. It depends what family you're in. But we're so busy looking for the next trial that we forget to celebrate past victories and provision. And, and, and it makes it more difficult because part of how we know he's taking care of us is we know because he's taking care of us. You know, when you go through a traumatic thing like a cancer or, or something else, you know, you're driving down the road and you swerve and you almost get in an accident, you know, you've got to realize that sometimes it takes God more work to keep you alive than to let you just go into eternity. So we know at least for a moment, I'm still here for a reason. And we're co- we, are, we should be propelled by that. Uh, we should be encouraged by that. And I, I just thought, um, man, what a, what a great few weeks. You know, our Brazil team. It is not safe right now to travel globally. And they get in planes, and they, the Lord provided, and they're going to have a sharing time. Uh, they were delayed in one airport. They needed to be delayed because another group was joining them. And, and, and it's just amazing how God works. But what an answer to prayer that they all came home safely. It, we, we expect them to come home safely, but if they don't, you know, we kind of look at each other and go, well, those are the times in which we live. So we take for granted how God provides for us. And I, I just... As we get into today's text, I just want, I want you to take a breath and look at how God's blessed you. You may be in the most difficult battle of your life, but the fact is God has provided for you up to this point to get you into the battle. And he will continue to provide for you through the battle until he's done with you battling. And then you go home and you really rest. It's all a rest. It's not sleeping. It is, a, it is everything you dreamed. It's politically perfect. You're provided for. People are unified. There's no divisions in church and doctrine. It's just, it's, it's grace. It's mercy. It's a family. It's God loving on us all over the place in ways that we can't even fathom. And that's coming. 
But we, I, I just, I just like as we get into this this morning, I just wanted to point out a few things that God has answered prayers that specifically, and we could take this morning and walk through this place and talk about answered prayer. Next week we're going to be getting into prayer because James talks about that. Um, but I, I just, I just want to take a moment before to remind you that it's not all dark. Just trust God; it's bad. He has been providing for you. He's continuing to provide for you. We just take those provisions for granted. You know what I'm saying? The fact that we get to eat three meals a day plus fried foods in between, that may be a provision of Satan, but it sure tastes good. Uh, last week, uh, these are the verses that we looked at together, James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. You know, like I just said, there we see God providing. He answers prayer, but as soon as those prayers are answered, as soon as your kids get back from camp, boy, you're working on what's next. Oh, we got a family vacation we got to prepare for, or or we got a lawn that needs to be mowed. You immediately jump into the next thing, the next fear. You go to the doctor, and they give you a good report, and you go home, and you start wondering what the next report's going to be like. We're all we're all built towards depression and towards towards anxiety. You look at you, you look at the political arena now, and whether you're conservative or liberal, the fact is you look at what's going on in, in Washington. And if you're a Democrat and you think that Hillary is going to be the president, you're relieved in that, but you're concerned that there's still going to be a Republican House on maybe Senate. If you're a Republican, you're worried that you're going to lose with a crazy man and lighten up. They're both nuts. In case you're not clear, just watch the news. You're concerned that he's going to win the presidency and that all, it's all going to break out. Everybody's going to carry guns. I, I got news for you. Everybody is carrying guns, even those not legal to carry guns. Political statement over. But the fact is that it, our, our hope is found in the Lord because worrying, um, worrying doesn't change anything. We all know that. Actually, I don't know that to be true because I'm a worrier, and the stuff I worry about never happens. So it may be that we're wrong and worrying does work. Maybe by worrying, the thing you're worried about doesn't come true. You can decide. But he's telling us to rest. He's telling us to trust in the Lord. He's telling us to be patient. And it is hard when we're unsettled. It's hard when we're scared. It's hard when we're mad at what's going on in the world around us, whether it's your family, in your neighborhood, or in your country. I mean, if you're on Facebook and you have Christian friends, you have certainly read the fear that is going through the church. And sometimes... That fear turns into rage in the hearts of God's kids and the way that we express ourselves in what we think is a, face, a, face, a, a safe social network. Obviously, these emotions, though, are not new with the church today. Uh, for this whole letter that's written to believers by James, um, they're struggling with trusting God for what's going on around them. They're struggling, just like we do. It has definitely affected their lives in every way, and it's upset them because their loyalty, as much as they say, and we, look, I, don't, I believe this about Christians, okay? I believe this about Carpenter's Way Christians and Harmony Christians and, and First Assembly Christians. I believe that most Christians, and I mean it's a huge percentage of people that we would worship with love the Lord, even if you're struggling with sin, even if you're addicted to porn, I think most Christians love the Lord. I think most Christians are so thankful for grace. I do. And I'm tired of people being beat up for that. I do. But I think that the weight of life, of the flesh, of all stuff around us weighs us down. So we look for ways to self-pleasure. Alcohol, eating, pornography, adultery, 
And there's another way. Anger. Anger is a rush, especially if you can center yourself around other people that are angry. And if the church is not wise, the church gets together every week, and we get angry at all the people we think are stupid. We sit in a room together, and we trash people that we're supposed to be ministering to, who Scripture clearly says are spiritually blind. And yet we mock their blindness through our rage. And so through this letter, James has been saying, calm down. The reason you're angry is because you actually think you deserve something in this life. You have a divided loyalty, he calls it, throughout. Your loyalty is divided between God and what he's taken care of and what you know to be true with what you're experiencing down here. And there's nobody in this room, including in the pulpit, who is immune from frustration over bad service at a, store, at a restaurant you're paying for. The fact is, we have expectations for this life, and they, and whether you're on the right or the left, and they, and when people fall short of that, we get frustrated, and sometimes we lash out. And what's especially sad, and we'll get into this, and I'm not going to get there just yet. But the fear has caused believers to lash out back in the day when James is writing at the world to pray only for things that make their own lives better. He he rebuked them for that to treat people in their midst differently purely based on genealogy, DNA, status, or wealth. And he addresses that in this letter. And he actually addresses those who are hearing of the whole, from the Holy Spirit for not obeying the Holy Spirit. Don't just be hearers of the word that is within you. Be doers of the word, was his exhortation. And so in chapter 4, James tells them and us to humble ourselves before the Lord. Humble, in other words, say, okay. I guess this is yours. Humble yourself before the Lord. Fully embrace and commit to his vision for life, your life, and the plan for the world around you. And know that in due time, he will lift us up and honor us the way we want to be honored. Know that will happen. Actually, the two verses I read you, these are the two verses we talked about last week. And, and I, want to, I want to remind you, look again. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for a valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Now, those next two words, I want you to look at those. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Remember that the Greek word that James used for patience here in both places, in both of these verses, uh, was a Greek word which actually could be translated, hold your anger, be long-tempered, sheathe your sword. He says at the end of this, be courageous and hold your temper. In other words, have the courage to trust me, put your sword in its sheath, and as you wait for the Lord's, Lord's return, Consider the farmers and how they live. They plant a seed, and then they go back to work on something else because they have to trust that God's going to provide the rain. Stand down was the term that I used last week. I love the practicality of God's word. For isn't it true in your life that when you're upset or afraid at what people are doing around you, that you have a tendency to become unhinged in your thinking, your words, and your attitude? We become crazy. We start trashing the very people that we know we're supposed to minister to, as we've talked about already today and in times past. Well, take heart, because this is not a new phenomenon in the church. It was going on in James' day. In fact, if you actually overcome hating on the world for their activities, but you're still unsettled, the church begins to attack each other. It's always been that way. 
And ironically, James, or the Holy Spirit who is writing this through James, actually wrote that next. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. So this is what's so cool about Scripture. We have certain verses that hit us in the face or that we like to take out of context. But in context, you have a whole letter written to a group of believers that are in a world that is not friendly towards them. Many have lost their jobs. Many have lost their families. Many are under attack. And they've gone into a culture that is Romanesque and plural gods and, and just antagonistic to any religion that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They're facing persecution, and they are angry, and they're lashing out. They're even claiming to say, you should listen to us. We are wisdom givers, as you often hear today. But the world doesn't want any part of it, so they're lashing out at the world, which is why in James 2, he says, guard your tongue. Control your tongue. Quit talking. Be slow to speak and quick to listen to the Holy Spirit. Stop talking so much. Quit telling off the people you're supposed to minister to. But what happens is, even if we overcome that in our flesh, if we dis discipline ourselves to say, I'm going to love people that are unlovely, we have a tendency to go, what's wrong with the church? Why don't you love people the way I do? There are a million books today that a result of God working in an individual's life, and they give up their wealth to move into the inner city, and they move into the inner city because they've been called to minister in the inner city, and within three or four years of success, Satan distracts them by them writing a book to the church that everybody else should do the same thing. God is not calling everybody in this room to work in the inner city. Otherwise, Crown won't be ministered to. I know some of you are going, yeah, I'm called to minister to Crown Comedy. Just so you know, he will plant you where you need to be planted. Some of you are called to be diesel mechanics. And I want to make it clear, something in the church... Uh, through the years, and I think it's back in this day, there's a tendency for the church when you go to camp. The first application of camp messages are you get saved. Then you go back the following year, and he calls up, the guy calls you to be ministers. Just to be clear, if everybody here were pastors, there'd be no congregation. That is not your calling. Your calling is to do what I cannot do. My calling is to study the scriptures, pray for you, encourage, rebuke, correct, and righteousness. That's my responsibility from the Word and the Holy Spirit. Your responsibility is to go out there and minister to the people He puts you in contact with. If you're a doctor, to be the godliest doctor this community has ever seen. If you're a teacher, to minister to those kids you want to kill. That is the task of a believer. God never said, I'm going to make you love these people. Love them because I love them. You see, the more we lose of ourselves, the more we are able to do the work of God. Jesus continually ministered to the 12 disciples that Jesus gave him, despite one being a turncoat and the other 11 being unfaithful. But he kept ministering to them because that was his task. And I could make the case, and I have in the past and I will again in the future, that we have a tendency to focus on the wrong person of the Trinity when it comes to our salvation. We look at Jesus and we say, Jesus loves you. And although that is true, that's not what John 3.16 says. John 3.16 says, for the Father so loved the world. How can I say that? Because it says he gave his son. You see, Jesus' reason he went to the cross wasn't his love for you. It was his obedience for his Father. It was the Father, the one that we look at as cold and distant, or at least I have, in the judge's coat with the white hair like British judges sitting back going, guilty, 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 not guilty. He's the one who goes, go get him, Jesus. Go get him. And then when Jesus came back, he sits at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Go get him. Go keep him focused. 
But the fact is they work together for the good of God and his love for you. But, but, but our, our, struggle, our struggle is trusting because we still believe no matter how many times we've said it and we agree to it. If we went down the row today, if I went down this row and talked to every person, every one of you within five minutes would say, I know what the scripture says about God putting the kings and, and princes in their place. And you would all say at some point, well, okay, so Barack Obama or George Bush, whatever side of the fence you're on, was placed in there because that's who God wanted as president. Some of you just threw up in your mouth. But the fact is, they wouldn't be there if the sovereign one didn't allow them to be there. But the reason they're there is because the church is foolish. No, the reason they're there is because God has a plan. And might I remind you that God's plan included a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who was a wicked, evil king who kidnapped the children, the best of the children of Israel, and it said that God placed him in that position of honor. Not to punish the Jews, but to move them forward to the fruition of his plan. God does use wickedness in order to accomplish his plan. He uses our sin in order to show his love for us. But we, the problem is, this is where James is addressing this. Our, our, we're divided because we want eternal life, but we want a good physical life as well. Every one of us do. And that, my friends, I believe is the conflict of the child of God. The conflict of the child of God, now listen carefully, is not sin because your sin has been removed. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Question for you. Don't answer out loud. But have you confessed your sin? Not today. I didn't ask that. Have you confessed your sin? Well, yeah, when I was seven. Then, if God's going to be true to his word, he has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Or he's a liar and not worthy of worship. He's not who we say he is. The fact is, he's made us promises that he has to keep, or he's not the God we think he is. And the truth is, you stand before him pure and holy. Yeah, but. The reason we add a but is because we still think we have an investment in this. And even Baptist friends, those of you who grew up Baptist, still believe that if you do it right, he'll do it right by you. That's not true. It's not true. He was very clear when he left that in this world you're going to have trouble. They're going to hate you because they hate me. For those of us in a certain demographical group, in a certain race, the last 200 years have been good for us in this country. And God has incubated the mission field through the, this country. What a wonderful thing. Missionaries have gone out from the United States and the gospel has been spread across the globe. I think those days are done. Yes, we've screwed this country up. No, this country was always wicked. It's just time for the end. So you think God's going to return in our lifetime? No idea. Don't even care. I think it's not going to matter. Because I think our kids are going to face tribulation and difficulty that we can't even fathom. I don't want that for my kids. When your five-year-old accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you were happy. Because in your mind, they're not going to hell problem. That's not really what happened. What happened is they got a new dad. They were adopted out of your family into an eternal family. They became his child. And therefore, they're his property. And if they are Stephen or Jonah or whatever, so be it. He's not going to ask you permission to use your children for his glory. 
He's just going to do it because they're not your children anymore. And we struggle with this because, yes, they are. No, they're not. You're the guardian of someone else's property. And as soon as we begin to recognize that, that we're guardians of a hopeful message, we're not Americans, we're citizens of a new kingdom, it changes the way we vote and the way we interact and the way we raise our kids. It isn't about having our kids have a good experience. It's raising them to live and die to themselves for the kingdom. But the reason we struggle with that is because we don't live or die for the kingdom. We're still trying to have it good here and there. And it doesn't work that way. But here's how Satan works. Satan gets us, lets us get to a place where we're walking with God and we're healthy. And he leaves us alone a little while, and then all of a sudden we start looking around going, what's wrong with the rest of the church? They're not like me. The church needs to grow up. I'll tell you what, if they were like us, and before you know it, we're, we're just as screwed up as everybody else. Self-righteousness is the sin. It doesn't matter how you become self-righteous, whether you're a legalist or your legalism and freedom. If you take your eyes off of Jesus Christ, your eyes are not on Jesus Christ. I was talking with somebody this week, and I was trying to explain, uh, this is a person who's ill and is probably not going to be with us much longer and is facing death and is saying is scared, like John the Baptizer was. Remember, before his death, he sends his disciples, John the Baptist, you know, that rowdy, locust-eating honey guy. Before his death, the last passage, the last life story of his is that he sends his disciples to ask Jesus a question. You remember what it was? Are you the Messiah or should we keep looking? I mean, his boys must have gone. <laughs> you, how could you doubt? Because we do. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He just looks at him and says, you go tell Jesus what you've heard me preach and what you've seen me do. Very next verse, he's dead. Why? Because there's a battle going on. And it is not a battle for our souls. It's a battle for our surrender. Letting God do his thing in us, through us, with us, around us. And holding on, sheathing our sword, knowing that he's got this. Okay, preacher, that's the same message you preached last week. How about this week's text? Okay. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. I know some of you are thinking this. Ah, judged. See, you can lose your salvation. James is not threatening salvation here. He just called them brothers and sisters. You know what he's threatening? The teacher's out of the room. The sub isn't there. And everybody's throwing spitballs at each other. And she's about to re-enter the classroom. You see, there's another part of this father thing. We like God being our daddy because we know he's taking care of us. But, you know, to know somebody's taking care of you, a daddy's job is to grow you up. Do you remember what Hebrews says about this? Look at, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 5 through 12. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Please notice that he used the word encouraging because when you read the rest, you're going to be like, well, that's not very encouraging. He said, these are the encouraging words. My child, don't take light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord's disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each child 
He accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God, and I want to stop there for a second, leave this verse up, Kip, but I want to remind you that you see that in Walmart. And when you see that in Walmart, you look at them and go, that is one lousy parent. Right? Oh, we're not supposed to judge. Would you just be human for a second? You look at them and you think that is not good parenting. Do you know why? Because you know that good parenting involves discipline. So why should we expect less from the Lord? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? If our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, parentheses, as imperfect as they were, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. I love that. The Bible's practical. Of course it's not fun. You know, he's not going, yeah, I'm getting spanked today. It's spanking time. That's ridiculous. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip on your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. This is real, brothers and sisters. God is our real Abba, our Daddy. And if we continue to smack each other around in the church, he's going to take a ruler to us to straighten us out. Because that's what he does. How cool is that? I don't want to be spanked. Then shut up. It's not complicated. Control your tongue. But don't just control your tongue. Realize why you're lashing out. Why are you mad at the rest of the church? It's one thing if there's heresy. We take that on directly. But you know, the truth is that people have the right to sing out of a hymnal if they want. Well, that's dead worship in your opinion. But it's not to them. And people have the right to raise their hands and dance. Just Baptists shouldn't do it because we're lousy at it. People have the right. A church that's predominantly got an African-American culture should be an African-American culture church. And if you go there, you shouldn't demand they change. If you go to China as a missionary, they should not be singing American worship songs. If they do, it should be in Chinese and with the Chinese instrumentation. Why? Because God is the God of Chinese people. He's the God of Indian people. He's not the God of Americans. He's the God of his children. And every race and nation will be represented in his kingdom, according to Scripture, when we get there. And we keep thinking the American way is the right way. And I'm here to tell you the American way is not the right way. God's way is the right way. God's way is not democracy. It's a theocracy. And in case you're not clear, if you don't think that this kind of thinking has affected the church, most Baptist churches are called congregational-led. And people will make an argument that congregational-led churches are biblical, which is insane because there's never a congregational church in Scripture. Well, we just need representation. That's why you have God. That's why you pray. That's why you have an elder council. That's why you have a deacon. Pastors are too strong. It was never invented to have pastors that strong. 
You were supposed to have a plurality of pastors that work together as a team, holding each other accountable. Well, what if my pastor is sinful? Second, or First Timothy tells you how to deal with that. You get another witness to their sin and you confront them on it. Then you go to the elders of the church and they confront them on it. Everything is laid out in Scripture if you follow the biblical model. But we're too busy having a power struggle within the body of Christ in order to actually do it biblically. Why? Because we want it our way and God takes too long. God takes too long. We don't like how it is. We want it changed. And we want it changed before Friday. The problem is, God's timeline isn't, isn't like ours. It's not 100 years. It's a billion years. And that's just the first day. But he does have a plan. And it's a great plan. So we sheathe our, our swords. We are patient. We consider the farmers. Look again. James 5, 7 through 11. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient. Remember, hold your temper. As you wait for the Lord's return, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage. Please remember, go ahead and leave that up there, Kip. Please remember that courage is not removing fear. Courage is doing the right thing when you're afraid. We keep thinking that if I'm really walking with God or if God's in it, we pray, God, give me absolute um, help. Take, take my fear away. And God says, no, your fear keeps you dependent on me. What you do with your fear is what matters. If you go to prayer with your fear, we're going to have an awesome experience through this. You're going to have peace in the midst of the trial. But if you go to guns with your fear, it's only going to mess you up. It's going to mess the people up around you. It's going to mess the people around them up. The church prays at the end of the meeting. Thank you, God, for this wonderful meeting. We're about to have a big evangelistic rally, and we pray you'll bless it. Nobody ever thinks maybe God doesn't want you to have that evangelistic rally. Well, why wouldn't he want us to have an evangelistic rally? I don't know, but he's God. He didn't have an evangelistic rally when he went into Nazareth. He only did one miracle, then he goes to the next town, and he does dozens of miracles. And the disciples are looking, saying, why is there so much impact here and not any in Nazareth? And Jesus says, because nobody wanted it in Nazareth. You know, there's a time to walk away. We keep begging people who keep saying no into the kingdom. Just so you know, you can't apologetically argue somebody into the family of God. You love them into the family of God. You see, they expect if, you re- if they reject your religion that you're going to reject them. What if you actually stop putting it in their face and start loving them like Jesus did? What if that happened? What if we take their expectations off their game by the leading of the Holy Spirit? That's what Jesus did. It's really hard. Because you're going to sit with people, and they're going to be talking and doing things, and you're like, you are so stupid. Don't you think Jesus felt that? He sat with wicked people. He went to the party Matthew threw as his leaving whatever party as he goes to follow Jesus. And even the disciples wouldn't go in the room with them. But Jesus didn't come to have a good life. He didn't come, what did he say, to be served. He came to serve. You see, when you gave your life to Christ, you gave up the right to be served now, and you chose to be the servant. Well, I didn't understand that. Well, now you do. That's called growing up. And now you have a choice. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, 1, Ephesians, Paul spends the first three chapters telling them what's been done for them, that you're saved, just even as Gentiles. And then chapter 4, in the first couple of verses, he says, now walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of it, please. Fifty years later, by the way, the church of Ephesus completely abandoned God. You have a choice. We have a choice. You too must be patient. Take courage. It's going to take courage to die to self. For the coming of the Lord is near. I can make it. It's coming soon. Don't grumble about each other. Why does he write that? Because he knows we will. Brothers and sisters, the teacher's coming back. And if he comes back and you're grumbling about each other when he walks back in the room, he's going to spank you. For examples of patience in suffering. By the word, the word patient there in verse 10 is the same word we've had so far. For examples of sheathing their sword and not fighting and not allowing their anger to rage. Dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure their suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. Different Greek word there that's going to be very cool ending of this message. You can see how the Lord was kind to him in the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. You see, this isn't really just about telling Christians to stop hacking on each other. It's about suffering. That's what this is about. Too many times when people say, have you ever studied James? Yes, and the stuff on the tongue is awesome. Well, just so you know, the stuff on the tongue in James chapter 2 isn't about the tongue. It's about learning to control your tongue when you're freaking out. If all you do is walk out of James and it's about prejudice and it's about prayer and it's about hope, if all you do is come out with about 18 applications, you have missed the point of James, which is why the church doesn't get the book of James. It's why Luther didn't like the book of James, because he walked out of James only thinking about salvation, going, this book sounds like I can lose my salvation. No, Martin, you can't lose your salvation. This book was never written to tell you how to get saved, except for rich people at the beginning of chapter 5. This book was simply to tell you, as a saved child of God, 12 times told brothers and sisters how to surrender. And he's pointing out through all of these examples why you're not surrendered and what his evidence is. This is the most phenomenal evidence of, a, of an unsurrendered body of believers. And the problem is, it sounds just like me. But as a pastor, of course, I'm surrendered. But the rest of y'all aren't. I mean, this is what we struggle with. I mean, the question that, that you might think each week is, so am I supposed to go to Applebee's and not get good service by a waitress? I mean, I'm paying for that meal. What's that line, Pastor? You listen to the Holy Spirit. If you own a company, well, I, I mean, am I not supposed to fire bad employees? No, that's not good for them. You don't enable sinful behavior. How you do it matters. Well, well, what's the right way? I want three principles. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Do what he says. Well, I don't like that answer. Sorry. Too many pastors have been telling you how to live your life. You don't belong to us. You belong to the king. And his Holy Spirit lives within you. Well, I don't ever hear him. Then stop talking and listen. I mean, I'm guilty of that. I, I know that surprises you, but I love to talk. <laughs> that, that was not the funny part of the message, but it's true. I love to talk. I love to, I love to do. I'm a doer. And you know what? Sometimes God says, stop doing and just knock it off. I've got this. You know, for many of us who grew up in the church, if our neighbor came over on a warm summer night, if they brought a beer, we'd freak out. Not because we thought God would send us to hell, but because the pastor might notice. Now your pastor doesn't care. In fact, he might bring the beer for you. Just don't get drunk. Did somebody clap? Don't clap at that. 
It'll make me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the thing is, walk with God. Really, really, I know that sounds like an easy thing, but walk with God. Walk with God. Walk with God. Think about it. Walk with God. Well, what do you want me to do, though? I want you to walk with God. Yeah, but what do you really want me to do? Walk with God. Okay. What's that look like? I don't know. It's not my place to tell you what it looks like. For some of you, for some of you who are in the ministry, and we've got several who are, it means walk with God daily in your ministry. For those of you who are in the ministry being a decent mechanic, it means walk with God as you do your ministry and your mission field as a decent mechanic. For those of you who are teachers, it's to love the kids you don't like. It's your task. Well, how do I do that? Talk to God. You see, the truth is, in our desire to have a good life, even if you surrender and want to be faithful to your task, which I talk about all the time, what happens is our obsession becomes the task and not the worship of God. In other words, is I need to read a book that tells me how to minister as a decent mechanic. No, you don't. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Those books become crutches. I'm not opposed to reading books, especially if they have pages you can color in. <laughs> but but, but I, I just think that Satan is so creative, you guys. He just flips a switch and our, we're completely distracted. We will do everything in our power. Our flesh will do everything in our power not to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's really, really, it takes discipline to listen to the Holy Spirit. And most of all, it takes quiet. And courage. I think God is actually telling me on Thursday nights to go up to that brewery in town and spend time with people who drink. Not me. I don't like beer, and I don't want to waste $7. But you might want to waste $7. But go. What will people think? They'll think you're a drinking Christian. And maybe they'll pray for you. Win-win. Just don't get drunk. What's the line? The sign says a buzz is a drunk. You start getting buzzed, drink coffee. Love people. Love people. Man, we were at Disney on gay day. What should I do? Ride a ride. Say hi. If it gets too weird, ride another ride. Run! I don't know. <laughs> Walk with God. Do you know God goes to Disney on gay day? Go. Vote. Vote Trump. Wouldn't it be awesome if in February of next year it's a cloudy night in Washington? Just tell me you would, this would be awesome. All of a sudden, there's a camera in front of the White House. The big bat light goes off and there's a big T in the clouds. Wouldn't that be epic? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to go off on Hillary. Although I do think we're going to have a whole new internet when she's on there. The fact is, they're all screwy. The day after the guy gets elected, you're going to see all of these equipment, this land-moving equipment. It's all going to have Trump on the side. He's going to build the wall and pay his own company to do it. Okay. It's insane what's going on. Why? Because it's run by people who are not focused on the king of kings. It's supposed to be crazy. Satan, do you, do you realize the word that defines today is chaos? Of course it is. Satan's in charge. I don't want him in charge. Don't worry. We're going to win. Sheathe your sword. Sheathe your sword. Aren't you worried? Sure I am. You know, I, I want grandkids. But you know what's weird about the next generation? They don't think the way those of us who are older do. They're growing up in this. They're growing up in it. You and I are freaking out about things that they're just living. God, God chose Zach and Annie Wilkie to be born in the late 90s and to live throughout this century. 
and my grandchildren, your grandchildren, have been chosen by the king of kings to grow up in that generation and to be faithful to him. Yeah, but they don't know what they're missing. Well, don't tell them. It'll be depressing. And besides that, they won't believe you anyway because they think they're right. Have you talked to a millennial? <laughs> there is truth. Yes, but I don't feel that truth. I'm going to poke you in the eye if you tell me that one more time. Just relax. The fact is that God is raising up the next generation of missionaries for such a time as this and task accomplishers and children, and they are perfectly suited for that. Yes, but they're going to grow up in a gay country. Okay. God knew that too. It's okay. I mean, it's not heaven, but it is what it is. And here's the funny thing about this message. Somebody watching on the Internet is going to email me and tell me off for it completely ignoring the next verse that says, don't attack each other. Because the funny thing is, is you can't find one scripture in the New Testament under the New Covenant that is your task as a child of God that tells you to tell off a gay man. Not one. And I can show you 938 that tell you to love him anyway. But that's hard for me. Take courage. See, I already talked about it. Of course it's hard for you. Trust. Take courage. Stop attacking each other. This isn't really about telling Christians to stop hacking on each other. It's about suffering. James is saying, hang in there. God's got this. Hold your anger. God will make all things right, and we will win. And while you wait, and God appears out of the room, don't be attacking each other like, like a real flesh and blood, blood family. Daddy's going to be back in the room soon, and he'll deal with our ki his kids, and he'll straighten us out. And this is my prayer for us as a church. Let me let you in on the inside. It is not that we get bigger or richer or famouser, if that's a word. I just want us to be known as a church that loves, supports, and encourages each other. I want to try a different approach to growth. And it's not focused on evangelism. It's a focused on people looking in this place and going, man, they really like each other. They take care. I want to be a part of a family like that. Could you imagine people coming into Carpenter's Way because they want to be a part of a group like this? Well, even I, I hope they like the preaching, and I, I know they're going to love the music if they're of a certain generation. But, but the fact is, I want people to be drawn to God through our love for each other. And that's biblical. It is by, <laughs> that's me throwing a tantrum for those of you who are visiting. It's as good as I got. <laughs> it, it, that's what it says. By your love, you will be known. In John 17, Jesus' last prayer, as far as we know, about us before he goes into getting arrested. And he says, Father, my prayer is that they will love each other and they will be unified like we are so the world may know that I sent them. Dear God, and teach them EE and help them know the Romans road. And I pray that they learn apologetics 101 and they can tell everybody about that. He didn't pray for any of that. He prayed that we would care for each other. Because you know what? The world is looking for somebody to care for them. And if we care for each other, they'll want to know what our secret is. And you know what our secret is? Jesus Christ. Guess what? Right into evangelism. We, uh, we get lied to about two or three times a week, sometimes more, sometimes less. People who come in because the church will help you with food and gas. You know what? Most of the time I don't give it anymore. You know what I tell them? Oh, I'm sorry. You misunderstand. That is one of the precious parts about being part of God's family. We take care of each other. We would sure love you to come join us. You're welcome to meet our daddy and be adopted into his family and then be adopted into this family. 
We would love for you to join us. Then we'll help take care of you in times of need. As of now, we support Love, Inc., and here's their phone number, and we support CISC, and here's their phone number, and if you need educational training, we've got Mosaic. Oh, you have a crisis pregnancy? Hey, let me introduce you to Paula Havard and her team. Do you know why? Because people come to the church not for truth, but for money now. And we have allowed Satan, without thinking, we have allowed Satan to distract. Our goal as a church, we need to take care of the needy, but we need to take it in a systematic and, and specific way so that we can reach their spiritual need, not just their physical need. And I realize that as a church, not Carpenter's Way, but in general, we keep throwing money at the world. There is no benefit for them to come in here. None. If they don't want salvation, why should they come? Maybe there's something else. Well, Jesus referred to that. Love. That's why this is such a big deal. Because how we treat each other is our reputation. And our reputation tells people whether this is a safe place or not. Now, in a church like this, there's going to be people who are prejudiced and there's going to be people struggling. But in a church like this, if we find out you're prejudiced, we're going to confront it. I don't like that part. Then don't be a part of our church. I'm serious. I, I want enough money to pay our budget, but to be truthful, I am so done with Christian evangelicalism. It claims one thing, but doesn't live it out. This is real. We love sinners. Well, I love them, but I don't love their sin. I don't even know what that means. Just love them. Let God be the judge. Love them. Well, at what point do I tell them they need to repent? If they hang out with you, they're going to know. Because the Holy Spirit is in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God will open the door. You know that I'm gay, right? Yes, I do. So you don't think the Bible thinks, treats homosexuality as a sin? Yes, I do. Well, how come you're not talking to me about it? Because homosexuality is not your problem, right? Your problem is you're a sinner, and you need to be forgiven of all your sin. And if you're not a homosexual, you're a liar, a thief, a cheat, a cheat you're self-righteous, whatever it is, fill in the gap. It's not homosexuality that's a problem, folks. Homosexuality may be how it's, it manifests itself, but the problem with people is that they are sinners and need to be forgiven, no matter what you call their sin. And we've allowed Satan to dictate Divisions based upon categories that are not biblical. Love each other. I pray that as time goes, this becomes more precious, not because you like the preaching. Every message I preach has two applications, get saved or get surrendered. I know that. It's all I see in the scriptures anymore. But because you long to be back with your brothers and sisters to be encouraged. I really want that. I think it can happen. It happens in youth groups all the time. It can happen in big church. But to do that, we've got to be completely, absolutely committed to what God's doing, not what we want or what we deserve. And that means you're going to have to tolerate music you don't like, or you're going to have to not, the colors are going to annoy you, or the pastor's going to be annoying sometimes, or you're not going to like, you know, whatever. But that's not why we gather. We gather here for each other, right? I just want to pray for us. Okay, and then I'm going to finish. I know, I know when I pray it's supposed to be over. It's not over yet. Lord, make us like you want us to be. I pray, I pray for all the churches, God, in this community that name the name of Christ, but I'm really right now just praying for Carpenter's Way. Would you please just make us a church that loves each other, even if we don't like each other all the time? I pray that we would, we would care for each other that we would take care of each other, that we would spur each other on to love and good deeds. 
and having a safe place where we can be loved on and love others. Then send us out, Father, to love people that we don't really like very much, people who cut us off in traffic or, or give us bad service when we have our appliances repaired or don't come fast enough when we need our air conditioner on. Help us to love them because we know that that's not the focus of our relationship you are. So I pray, Father, this morning again, not for a church that's necessarily growing in numbers or finances, but a church that's growing healthy because we have all surrendered ourselves to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let me round third and take us home. I want you to understand, folks, that this, this thing that you fear out there, this disrespect, this, this hatred that, that is beginning to grow against God's family is real, as I talked about last week. And the potential suffering that we and our children and our grandchildren may face is real. But it's not new. The body of Christ, even as far back as the Old Testament, the body of Jehovah has always faced this. It's just that we haven't in our lifetime. And now it's coming. Take courage. Sheathe your sword. James readers, and we actually, and I mean, they knew because they grew up in Hebrew school about the prophets. Jesus referred to them in Matthew 23 and even accused the Jews of killing the prophets. In Hebrews chapter 11, and I, I don't have the time right now to go through it, but it talks about men and women who are fed to lions and sawed in half. You know about persecution. Many of you have read Fox's Book of Martyrs. So we kind of get that. But here's such a cool part of this, this section. He goes from the prophets and those who have suffered to Job. All right? This just gives me chills. It, it may not touch you at all, but it's cool for me. So endure. He says about Job, um, he talks about the prophets and the faithful who endured suffering with patience. And he uses that same Greek word he's been using throughout this section about hold your temper and stand down. Don't fight them. They did this. The prophets and the sufferers faithfully did that. They were examples. According to the original languages, they were examples of that. But not Job. Job, we know, pushed back. He got angry. When his three buddies are telling him, what sin did you commit? We look at that and he goes, he resisted. And we, we've studied that and we go, he resisted well. I think he's mad. And he goes, sit down. I haven't sinned. I don't deserve this. You remember what happened to Job. He lost all of his wealth, all of his servants but one, and all of his children, ten of them. And he sits down and then he loses his, his health. He gets boils all over his body, and as he's sitting there with a shell scraping off the pus, great visual, he has three buddies that come up to him and try to encourage him spiritually. We know that these kind of things happen because you sin against the living God. Why don't you just confess? Come on, Job. What have you done? And I think he's ticked. I don't think he's gently responding. He goes, look, I didn't do anything. I've done nothing. I can't think of a sin. Second friend, I can't think of a sin. Third friend, I did not do anything. But in all this and his frustration, and this is before he has the debate with God where he doesn't have much to say, but he and God have that moment. 
Before that, despite his anger, despite his frustration, I want you to look at what Job said in Job 19. As for me, and this is an answer to one of his three buddies, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body is decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. So here we've got a guy who's really, really struggling, who really, really is questioning God, who actually James brings up as an example of being enduring difficulty in trial. Now remember, we are being exhorted not just to endure, but to sheathe our swords. He didn't do that. But here's what James did do in James 5.11. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. Endure is the word here. It means trust God, make it, even though you're not happy. For instance, I know, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. Same word. Not sheathe his sword, not patient on God, may be frustrated, may be angry, but that was his attitude. His attitude was, here's what I know, you bonehead. I haven't sinned. And as for God, I may not like what he's doing in my life, but I know this, that one day my Redeemer will stand upon this earth, and he lives, and he's watching me, and I may die today of these stupid sores all over my body, but in this body I will see him. Go home. The tone in which you read it makes a big difference. And I, I, I don't know that he's angry, but I would be. And when you find him wrestling with God, he is not holding back at first. He did not sheathe his sword. He did not stand down. And yet, you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. If you're one of those that thinks James is about you losing your salvation, you are numb in the head. I want you to see this. Okay, Peter is in the upper room with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. Peter says, I will go with you. And I will, and he says it loud so everybody can hear. I will even die with you, Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, 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 Peter. Not only are you not willing to die, but before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. Never! Peter, you're going to. But when you come back, I will have forgiven your sin and we're going to move on. So Jesus is saying to you today, sheathe your sword. Have courage. But when you don't, I'm still going to bless you because you will endure trusting me even in your pain, frustration, and anger. How great is our God? His standards are so much lower than James's. His expectations are unbelievably low for you. Which is why he sent his son to die on the cross for all your sins. Which is why if you have confessed your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And it is when we get our minds around that, that we can finally start to do this. Did you see what Hillary Clinton said? She should be in why am I screaming at a TV that doesn't even care what I have to say let's go to DQ for ice cream how can you allow me to get cancer okay 
So chemo it is. You know, Atkins, what was his first? Dr. Atkins, you know who he is, right? From what I understand, he was in great shape. Living up in the icy north, his heart was greatly healthy. Unfortunately, he slipped on ice and, and died. Just because you're diagnosed with a lethal disease doesn't mean that's what you're going to die of. And you ring the bell, chemo's over, and you're given a clean bill of health, and you're so excited you run across the street and the truck runs you over. You don't know. But God does. God does. And God is your daddy. And our problem with him is not sin. We're, we're, we're forgiven of the stuff we're still going to battle with. Our problem is trust. So when you leave today, don't confess your hate for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or all of those people. You're already forgiven of that. Instead, realize that God still blesses those who endure but don't trust. And ask him now to help you trust. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy and tenderness that re rewards people like Job and me. And help me, God, trust you just a little bit more. Last thing. The sign of maturity is not sinlessness or trust perfection. Is the distance of time it takes you from the moment of anger and rage and frustration to the moment where you realize you're being a fool. And if it goes from three days to two days and two days to one day and one day to an hour, nah. We can thank God that Brazil got home safe and we can thank God that the students got home safe. We can get on with our lives. Because you know what? Even if you don't sheathe I have to use the bathroom now. <laughs> Even if you don't sheathe your sword or you deny Christ three times publicly in a few days, he's going to make you breakfast. And he's not going to say, <laughs> what was that all about? He's going to say, do you love me? Oh, oh, man. I love you. And get back to work. But don't we need to? Shh, shh, shh. We already talked about that. Cleansed. As far as the east is from the west. What are you talking about? Jesus took care of that. Get back in the game. Oh God, help us trust. Amen. All right. Bible study. Thanks for coming this morning, everybody. Soaked in gasoline, a beam of light for the world to see.